if you would join me in Proverbs chapter 27. And this fall semester, we are in this book of the Old Testament, in this book that teaches us, that leads us towards wisdom. And we're in a part of the series where we are we're looking at how Proverbs applies wisdom to different areas of our lives. And of course, uh, Proverbs talks a lot about relationships, and uh, so we're going to talk about several different types of relationships over the next few weeks, uh, and this week uh, we're going to talk about friendships. Uh, what does Proverbs say about wise friendships? And so if you would join me in Proverbs chapter 27, I think this chapter and, and some of the verses in this chapter uh, are representative of what this book has to say as a whole, and so I'll begin reading in verse 2 of 27. And just we'll read a few different selections from this chapter. Uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty. But a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. And then jump down to verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor, understand that the word neighbor and friend are kind of interchangeable in this book. Uh, But verse 14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. And then verse 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Let's pray. Father, would you help us now? We come trusting that you not only have spoken in the past, but that you are speaking even now through your word and by your spirit. And so would you help us to trust that, uh, to rest in that as we come uh, to this uh, great book about wisdom, as we come to Proverbs, and as what it has to say uh, about what seems to be a very mundane topic, the, the topic of friendship. Uh, but you care about it, obviously. We hear it in these words. And so would you help us to care about it? Would you give us understanding? Uh, would you open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to your truth? And would you help us? Uh, to be changed by it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were alive and at all conscious during the 90s, um, you know that there was a very popular television show called Friends. And uh, the show, it's really interesting. If you know the show uh, and, and think about it, think about what drove the drama of that show from week to week. What were the kind of dramatic questions and surprises uh, for that show from week to week? 
It was romantic intrigue, right? It was, are, are Ross and Rachel finally going to get together or some other silly question? Now that's telling. That says something about us as a culture. That a show with friendship in the title was actually more about romance. It's the same thing Hollywood did with The Lord of the Rings. Right? With, with Tolkien's great and epic tale. In the end, that, that is a narrative about friendship. It's a powerful narrative about friendship. But what happened when we decided to make a movie about The Lord of the Rings? Well, we reached into the appendix to, to flesh out romantic tales. To add romance to that story, because the story about friendship wasn't enough for us. That's telling about us. That is telling about our culture. We are not always sure what to do with friendship. We, we are not always sure what to do with these relationships that are, they're not family, they're not colleagues. Uh, and they're not romantic relationships. What do we do with this unique relationship in our lives? And, and the sad thing is that because of our confusion about friendship, it often leads to a devaluing of friendship. If friendships get lost in the shuffle of priorities and schedules. And that is tragic. And it's not only tragic. According to the book of Proverbs, that is also foolish. The devaluing of friendship, according to the book of Proverbs, is foolish. This book, as it calls us to wisdom, highly values relationships that are not family relationships. They are not work relationships. They are not romantic relationships. Proverbs deeply values, prioritizes friendships. As this book calls us to walk the path towards life, as it calls us to walk a path designed for us by our Creator, it says you need companions on that path. You need companions who aren't spouses. They aren't parents. They aren't siblings. Siblings for the path of life, for the path of wisdom. Proverbs says, you need friends. Friendship is essential to the wise life. So this morning, two questions for the book of Proverbs about friendship. Why and how? Why should we have friends? And how can we have good and healthy friendships? First of all, why? Now, we can certainly say we're lonely, right? So we need friends. And that's true. Uh, We can certainly say God has made us for community. And so we need friends. And that's true. But the book of Proverbs emphasizes that we need friends not only because we are lonely but because we are limited. We need friends because we are limited. We are limited in our abilities to deal with disaster. 
So what's going on in, in verse 10 of, of the text that we read? It says, in, in the day of trouble, uh, don't go to the house of your brother. Don't over-rely on your family. You need other people in your life who can help you clean up after the hurricane hits. We need help. We need friends because we need help in dealing with disaster. But, but we need friends not only because we are limited in our ability to deal with disaster, but also because we are limited in our ability to deal with reality. We need friends because we are limited in our ability to deal with reality. We are limited in our ability to truly understand and respond to our situation, to our world, and to ourselves. See, here's an essential insight about the wise life in the book of Proverbs. And it is that self-knowledge on your own is a pipe dream. If you think that you can go out in the woods with a journal and understand yourself, you are lying to yourself. You come to know yourself, you come to know this world, your situation, and you even come to know God only in conversation with other people. Friends are essential in helping us to deal with reality. Here's here's the idea. When you decide that you should become a pop music star because of your love for popular music, you need people around you who will look at you funny because of the reality of your voice. (laughs) You need people who will mirror back to you the truth about yourself, the truth about this world, and ultimately... The truth about God. But Proverbs does not stop with practicality. It motivates us towards friendship. Not only because of the practical value of friendship. But also because of the beauty of friendship. Did you hear it in verse 9? Oil and perfume. They make the heart glad. And you know what else makes the heart glad? A serious conversation with a good friend. Friends help us to enjoy life. Friends, and and listen, neuroscience and psychology are constantly confirming this ancient wisdom. They're showing us that, that... Through healthy interactions with other people, non-family members, other people, they help to make us happy. Friendship is a good gift to us from our Creator, which we should gratefully enjoy. Friends, make help to make your heart happy. And that's why you need friendship in your life. Now, this combination of practicality and beauty, we can see that in one of the great friendship stories of all times. It's a story in the Bible. Do you remember David? Remember David who who became the most significant king in Israel? You remember before he became king, his popularity created major problems with the current king, King Saul? 
And Saul was jealous of him. And Saul was actively seeking to assassinate him. And what saved David's life? Friendship. His friendship with Jonathan, Saul's son. That friendship helped him to escape with his life. Talk about practicality. (laughs) A relationship that saves your life? That's pretty practical. But that relationship wasn't only practical. It was also beautiful. First Samuel says that David loved Jonathan as his very soul. Second Samuel tells us that when David found out about Jonathan's death, he grieved deeply and he said, your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than the love of a woman. And we get all weird with that. We sexualize. We want to sexualize that. But it wasn't. It was David the poet celebrating the beauty of friendship. It was David the poet saying this friendship helped to make my heart glad. You need friends. You need friendship in your life. And I think we need to ask ourselves a searching question. I think we need to ask ourselves if friendship holds so much potential for us, why don't we prioritize it? Why isn't it a part of our decision making? Why isn't it a part of how we choose to live our lives, to arrange our schedules? I think other than Scripture, one of the places that I have learned most about valuing friendship was the experience of living in a different culture. Most of you know that my family and I, we lived in uh, Malawi, Africa for a couple of years. And expats in Malawi, almost all of them have had this similar experience of, of talking to a Malawian of the same gender and enjoying a good conversation and all of a sudden feeling a hand reach out and take yours and just, and just hold it. And feeling very uncomfortable with that. But because you don't want to offend, you stand there in the awkwardness until it's over. But in traditional Malawian culture, it is very inappropriate to express physical affection publicly for a spouse or a romantic relationship. But it is very appropriate to express physical affection for a friend. It's just an expression of how much that culture valued, prioritized friendship. And as I thought about it, I think there were a couple of elements of their experience of the world that helped them prioritize friendship. Malawi is among the uh, consistently ranked among the five poorest nations in the world. And Malawians were under no illusion that they were self-sufficient. They understood deeply their need for other people in their lives. You know what else? Let me say it this way. Uh, Efficiency was not an important word to Malawians. Productivity, not a, not, a, not a super high value for Malawian culture. And you know what? Making friends is an inefficient process. 
It is something that requires time and space. And I wonder, based on what the book of Proverbs has to say about friendships, I wonder if we should look at other cultures like that and maybe not ask, hey, how can we make them rich like us? But how can we learn to be rich like them? How can, maybe we need to offer some wise resistance to our culture. And the way that even good things like work and family monopolize our time. Monopolize our energy, leaving very little room for friendship. Leaving very little room for these relationships that Proverbs says are very, very important for a meaningful, wise, healthy life in this world that God has made. I wonder if we got to the end of our lives and and maybe had a few less promotions and a little less money but just a few meaningful friendships, I wonder if that wouldn't be a bad thing. I think we need to let this ancient wisdom challenge us, shape our schedules, shape our decision-making to create space for friendship. But, of course, even if, if we respond to that and say, yes, okay, I want to prioritize friendship, we then ask, have to ask a second question. We have to ask, how? How do we have friends, and, and not just have friends, how do we have good and healthy and wise friendships? And, and like I said earlier, uh, you know, making a friend isn't an efficient Process And so Proverbs doesn't give us some like step by step procedure that you can follow exactly and have friends. But it does give us, I think, major ingredients for the recipe of healthy friendships. I want to mention four. I'm going to quickly mention four ingredients for a healthy, wise friendship from the book of Proverbs. The first ingredient and the most dominant ingredient in this book is loyalty. Chapter 17, verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times. Chapter 18, verse 24 says, there is a friend who sticks, not feels, but sticks closer than a brother. Even in our text, it says, do not forsake your friend. Don't even forsake your father's friend. The heart of a healthy friendship in this book is commitment. It's constancy. It's loyalty. There's another great friendship in the Old Testament. We don't often think of it as a friendship, but do you remember the relationship between Ruth and Naomi? Ruth was Naomi's daughter-in-law, but Ruth's husband died. And Naomi uh, Naomi, uh, uh, freed Ruth from all family obligations. She says, you are free to go back to your own family. You don't have to stay with me. And Ruth said, no, I'm sticking with you. I'm staying with you. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people are my people. Your God, my God. We use those words in weddings. But that was a covenant of friendship. It was a covenant of loyalty that even then became and shaded into family. 
And out of that friendship, Ruth was married. And then from that marriage, there came a son named Obed. And then Obed had a son named Jesse. And then Jesse had a son named David. It makes you wonder if David learned about friendship from his family stories. Essential ingredient for healthy friendships, loyalty, commitment, constancy. I think that's important for us. Because sometimes, not only do we, we can undervalue friendship, but we can also sometimes over-romanticize friendship. And so, you know, we, uh, we want the, the Anne of Green Gables kindred spirit experience. Or, or we want, you know, we want that friend who is, they're just, they're funny and they're hip and they have all the right taste in music and entertainment. We want that kind of perfect connection. But that's not the heart of friendship. The heart of friendship is someone who says to you, I'm here. You are stuck with me. So, first ingredient of friendship, loyalty. Second ingredient of friendship, honesty. If friendship helps us grasp and respond to reality, it must be a relationship of truth-telling. Even when that truth telling is painful. That's why we have these paradoxical statements in verse 6 of our text of friendly wounds and hostile kisses. It is that a true friend will tell you the truth even when it hurts, even when it stings. One of the great friendships in my life. Uh, is, a, is a man named Todd. Some of you have met Todd. He lives in Ohio. And, and Todd and I, we talk almost weekly on the phone. And it's been one of those friendships where we weren't the most natural connections, but we just kind of said to each other, I pick you and I'm going to stick with you. And so we share life together. And uh, one time I was having a conversation with Todd and I was talking about a relational struggle. And, and I sat back and I sighed and I said, I don't know, Todd, maybe I'm being... A jerk, except I use a more colorful term that I can't use in this context. Um, and he, he, without missing a beat, looked me in the eye and said, what do you mean maybe? <laughs> Which stung. But that, the sting of that truth led to insight and it led to change that improved my marriage. A friend tells you the truth, even when it hurts. And you know what? That honesty coming from Todd, it worked for me because I knew it came from a place of compassion, which is the third ingredient of friendship, is that it should be a relationship of compassion. There's a cluster of verses in Proverbs 25 that talks about friend and neighbor relationships. And it says, if you sing songs to someone with a heavy heart, that's talking about if you try to sing happy songs to someone with a heavy heart, it's like taking away their coat on a cold day. Friendships are, there's, there's a safety in them. They, they are, it's a safe place to bring your sorrow, to bring your disappointment. And it's someone that, yeah, they might tell you the truth, but they know how to do it in a compassionate way. And they're also not going to go and then tell your truth to everyone else. It's a compassionate and a safe relationship. 
So a good friendship involves loyalty, it, in, it involves honesty, it involves compassion. And then fourth, it involves something that I am going to call propriety, uh, appropriateness. In, in more modern language, it involves healthy relational boundaries. That, cl- that cluster of verses in chapter 25 also says... It says, don't let your foot be too often in your neighbor's house because he's going to have his fill of you and grow to hate you. (laughs) And then in our text, as a non-mourning person, my life verse is is chapter 27, verse 14, uh, which says a blessing too loud and too early. It's actually a curse. (laughs) All right. Amen. Right. Boundaries. Healthy. Relational boundaries. And there's humor in those statements, but there's a very serious point there. And it is that often we ask the relationships in our life to be more for us than they can be. And a lot of times this comes from pain and sorrow and disappointment in our past. And this is anywhere. We can do this with a spouse, but we can also do this with a friend. Where we ask that relationship to meet a need in us that it can't meet. And so it's not that we undervalue friendship, it's that we over-attach. We over-depend on that person. And instead of learning about ourselves, we lose ourselves, and not in the good Jesus way, but we lose ourselves and our opinions are too controlled. Our emotions, our desires even, are too controlled by that other person. We've lost the healthy boundary for the relationships in our lives. And so wisdom is understanding those boundaries and living in the boundaries of healthy relationships. It's, it's understanding that the relationships are on our, you know, we're talking about friendship, like it's one thing, but it's not one thing, right? Relationships in our lives, they're, they're a spectrum. And, and, and we're closer to some people and not as close to some people. And, and wisdom is learning to live within that spectrum and be okay with it. Be okay with a range of relationships. It's receiving the gift of friendship without then grasping a hold of that other person. And manipulating, controlling to meet needs in us that they can't meet. A healthy relationship involves propriety. It involves involves good boundaries, appropriate boundaries for those friendships. And, And I'll just say, I don't have time to go super into detail about that. But it also applies to church relationships. Uh, there's this there's this kind of weird entanglement be- between friendship and church relationships because church relationships can become good friendships, but not all of them become good friendships. And church relationships involve some of the elements of friendships like commitment, truth-telling, and compassion, but not all of them become that really close best friend or really close friendship. And we need to learn to be okay with a range of relationships in our lives. So, loyalty, honesty, Compassion, propriety, good boundaries. And maybe even, for me, especially on that last one, that raises for me, um, I, I think, some of the grief of friendship. Some of the sadness around friendship. 
um, a loneliness in me that friendship has never been able to address. Do you feel that? Do you, do you maybe maybe you've had those sweet times of really good friends, but then but then maybe you've had times without it, or or maybe you've had really good friends who who didn't end up being good friends, uh, but betrayed you. They told your secrets to others. There is, there is a sadness, there is a grief to this topic. Because like all gifts of creation, the gift of friendship has been marred. It's been marred by, by sin. Friendship is flawed in a world that has been broken by sin. And so even in this good gift, we taste a loneliness that friendship can't address. Because ultimately, that loneliness is a result of our distance from God. There is a loneliness in us that is the result of a distance from God. And good friends, good family, good marriage can't fully address that need can't fully address that grief, that sorrow. And so when we talk about friendship, we need Ruth and David's great, 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 great grandson, Jesus, who lived his life among friends. Yeah, I think we think about Jesus and his disciples, like Jesus just pulled around the white whiteboard and was teaching all the time. But it wasn't. It was, it was friendship. They were a group of friends who lived life together. And we're told about Jesus weeping a very few times in the New Testament. And one of those times when we were told about Jesus' weeping, it is in response to the death of his friend Lazarus, who he then went and raised from the dead. Talk about practical friendship. <laughs> Jesus also tasted the, the sadness of friendship. In his greatest disaster, his friends turned and ran. He was betrayed by the kiss of someone who was supposed to be his friend. And he sat at a table with his disciples the night before he died. And he said to them, you know what? In the world, there is no greater love than this. Than that a man lays down his life for his friends. And then he looks at his disciples. And through the message of the gospel, he looks at us. And he says, I have called you friends. I have called you friends. Friends, you see Jesus as he laid down his life, as he stretched out his arms on the cross, bearing the wrath of God for you. He was saying, I have called you friends. And I have shown you the greatest love by laying down my life for yours. That's what will address that deep grief. That's what will address that deep loneliness. It is that in Jesus, God has befriended 
us. And it is then in that love that we learn to turn and look at the people around us. And that we learn to be a friend. We learn in His love. Then to turn and not look around all the people at us through the prism of Proverbs. And and notice how they have failed to be our friends. But we ask, how can I become a friend? How can I, trusting in the love of Jesus, then lay down my life for others? You need friends in your life. You need to prioritize and pursue human friendship. But ultimately, you need a divine companionship that God has made available to you through His Son, Jesus. Let's pray.